Welcome to Dodgers Daily. I'm Casey Porter. I'm so glad you decided to tune in. Fans, we have a great show for you today. Another glorious show. Another organizational sweep. The second one in consecutive days. The fifth one in the last couple of weeks. So this organization, the Dodgers organization, continues to roll, which, you know, when I hear criticism of the front office and, hey, they don't know what they're doing, I kind of hear chat from there, social media or what may it be. Okay, well, actually, if you look at how this organization does, the stockpile of talent and just how many games, you know, just from top to bottom they win, you realize that this organization, they know how to chew on data, they know how to break you know, player prospects down, they know how to develop talent, and they know how to win games. So congratulations to the organization again on another organizational sweep, the second on consecutive days, the fifth in the last couple of weeks. How fantastic is that? So a glorious show, a lot to get to, especially when you consider the Dodgers won a big divisional game against a, well, are the San Diego Padres still a rival? I mean, this has been pretty much domination by the Los Angeles Dodgers, at least in the regular season. You know, the Padres did beat the Dodgers last year in the playoffs in that divisional series. But as far as the regular season goes, and overall the last five years, the Dodgers have completely dominated the Padres. So just chew on that a minute. We'll circle back to it. But, hey, start thinking, is this actually a rivalry between the Dodgers and the Padres when there is so much domination on one side. So a lot to get to, but before we do, hey, just a reminder, we do now have the ability to donate to Dodgers Daily. We have a GoFundMe account, and the link to that GoFundMe account is in the description. Just scroll down to the description. It is right there. Click on the link, and it'll take you right to the Dodgers Daily GoFundMe account. Also, if you like this video, and if you like this kind of content, go ahead and click that like button, leave a comment, tell all your friends about Dodgers Daily, become a subscriber, after you subscribe, click that notification bell, turn on your notifications. That way, every time Dodgers Daily releases a new video, you'll be notified and you won't miss a thing. Dodgers Daily can keep doing what we do, which is, and we love to do, which is providing videos and content like this in the future. And, you know, we can just keep going and keep doing this like we love to do. Okay, we have a huge show to get to today. Again, another organizational sweep. You have the cherry on top with the Dodgers defeating the Padres again. Padres came out and they hit the home run early with Juan Soto and the Dodgers answered back in the bottom of the first. So a big show, a lot to get to. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it and let's talk Dodgers baseball. So the Dodgers are 49-23 and 23 in the last five years against the Padres. They have won 11 consecutive regular season series and Julio Urias, the Dodgers have won the last nine starts that he has started against the Padres. So I ask again, when you're 49 and 23, you've won more than double the amount of games that your opponent has in this series in the last five years. When you've won 11 consecutive regular season series, I know the Padres beat the Dodgers in the playoffs last year, but when your ace has total domination over your opponent in this series, is that a rivalry when there is such domination on one side like the Dodgers have had over the Padres over the years? So there's your question. Leave a comment. Tell me what you think. Is this actually a rivalry with the Dodgers dominating the Padres the way they have certainly over the last five years? Again, with the 49-23 record and the 11 consecutive regular season series wins over the Padres and the way the Julio Urias has dominated them with nine consecutive wins in his starts. Okay, so the Dodgers now are 25 and 15. 
They are three games in front of the Arizona Diamondbacks in the NL West, and they are six games in front of the Padres, which, you know, the Padres, to me, they're a conglomeration of the best players that were on a free agency market. They were put together with no, you know, kind of plan as far as how you're going to incorporate everybody together and put together an identity as far as what type of team you want to have. You're just putting together good players, like almost like putting an all-star cast together and just hoping that talent overcomes. You know, there's more than just putting talent on a field. There has to be, you know, chemistry and there has to be kind of a flow between all the teammates as far as everybody knows what everybody else is going to do. And then you kind of put an identity together based off of, you know, everybody's strengths and weaknesses. And then once you know everybody's strengths and weaknesses, you make that identity, then your manager can manage toward, uh, towards it and everybody can buy into it. And then you kind of know how you're, you're going to win games and, and what a team is going to do each and every night to, to you know, uphold that identity. The Padres, in my opinion, they don't have an identity other than they're just a conglomeration of free agents that the their front office put together to try to put together the most amount of talent they could. Hey, you know, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad strategy, but I, I do think that, you know, thinking of the team aspect of it and the identity aspect of it, hey, we have a formula of the type of offense we like to play. We have a formula of the type of pitching we like to do. You know, we like the four-seam up. We like the, the, the cutter and the slider that turns left. You know, and then we like the change-ups, like pitching for the Dodgers. Hey, we like hitters that hit home runs. We like hitters that grind pitch counts. You know, if their batting average isn't all that high, that's fine. We've seen that with Max Muncy, Chris Taylor over the years. As long as their slug numbers are good and they draw a lot of walks, you know, hey, so we don't necessarily have to get the best player on the market, but we do have to get the player that fits our formula the best. I don't think the Padres have a formula. I think they just go get the best players. They put them together in a lineup. They don't mesh together. They don't make, at least they haven't made a quote unquote team yet. They don't have an identity because of that. And I think because of that, they're underperforming. That's just my opinion. And I don't mean that, you know, as a, you know, a rivalry type talk towards the Padres. I mean that just from a baseball perspective. I think that's why the Dodgers, you know, obviously you go out and get a Mookie Betts, you get a Freddie Freeman, you know, you have Julio Urias, you have the ability to keep signing your own talent. For the most part, you know, the Dodgers did lose Corey Seager and, you know, Cody Bellinger, and they didn't re-sign Trey Turner and Max Scherzer and all those guys. But you do have the ability to keep the guys that, typically speaking, unless the years are like 10 or 11 years, that you want to keep. I get all that. But the Dodgers, for the most part, in my opinion, the reason why they are so successful every year and it just seems plug and play, no matter who they put in, is because they have a specific formula. They have an identity on offense. They have an identity as far as pitching goes. And then they certainly have an identity from a culture perspective. If you are not a great person first and that outweighing all of anything you can do on a field, you will not be a Dodger. They totally believe in culture. So the three things that the Dodgers look for offensively, they look for offensive players that can grind pitch counts, that can hit home runs and slug. And and pitching-wise, they look for guys with high spin rate that can attack the top of the zone with their four seam and good sliders that can turn left and good change-ups and or a two seam that can turn right. That's your formula offensively and pitching-wise. And then your formula uh, as far as culture goes off the field, you have to be an absolutely elite human being. If you are not 
an elite human being, somebody that everybody wants to be around, and and somebody that can can you know give off positive vibes at all times. You will not be in a Dodgers dugout. You will not be in their organization. So they have that specific formula. They go out and they find guys that that match that formula. You know, even guys in the minor leagues, they go out and find guys that that have been in other organizations. They plug them into the formula and they see who comes out at the top. And it's just plug and play every year at you know at the the LA the level. So I know the Dodgers, like I said, they have unlimited funds, and, and a lot of people will point to that, and, and they're not wrong. But the reason why the Dodgers, in my opinion, the biggest reason why they have such domination over teams like the Padres is because they have that specific identity. They know the formula that they want to win by, and they stick to it, and it, and it works. And if it works, then why change it? So, again, the Dodgers 49-23 and over the Padres in the last five years, 11 consecutive regular season series wins. Julio Urias has won nine consecutive starts. The Dodgers have won games in those nine starts in a row from Julio Urias over the Padres. So, hey, it's fantastic. And I'll ask you again before I move on to our next part of this Dodgers talk. Hey, is that a rivalry when you have that kind of domination? Okay, scoring big because the Padres came out. Juan Soto hit the solo home run. And when the Padres scored first, that was a huge you know, deal for the Padres to score that, that one run in the first because when they score first, they are 15 and six on the season. When the other team scores first, they are sub 500 and by quite a bit. So scoring first, I always talk about that, getting that lid off, getting the positive momentum for your team. Hey, yes, they are professionals. Should they have to have confidence every night? You know, when you say that, that's relative. They always have confidence because they wouldn't be where they're at if they didn't. What I mean is, you know, for that in particular given night in all of the matchups, you know, are they confident that their matchups are better than the other team's matchup and get the positive vibes going there? So when the Padres score first, that gets their, you know, their positive vibes going and they are 15 and six, not nearly as good, obviously, when the opponent does sub 500 for them. So when Juan Soto hit that home run, that got them going and it was huge. I talked about this in yesterday's show. When you have a team like that, that's good when they score first. They're good, you know, they're what I call front runners. They like to ride that momentum, you know, that they get the lead and then they like to front run and ride momentum when they have the lead. Not quite as good when you challenge them and then you take the lead. That's the Padres to me right there. So answering back when the Padres grab momentum and take a lead like that is absolutely huge with any team, but especially a team like the Padres with a team full of Fernando Tatis Juniors, Manny Machados, and guys like that that love to front run. And they love to show off when things are going great. Not quite as good whenever they get punched back. So it was huge that the Dodgers punched back on consecutive days. If you remember, the Padres hit the two-run home run in the seventh on Friday night. The Dodgers came right back and matched that with, with the two runs at the bottom of the seventh. Well, how about last night when Juan Soto hits the solo home run? J.D. Martinez hits the three-run home run. Okay, so not only did the Dodgers match, they actually... You know, they actually one-upped or two-upped the Padres. And really, you know, if if you haven't had a chance to hit yet, you know, and the other team's already scored one run, does that really count as the other team scoring first? I know, obviously, they did score first, but it's only because you haven't hit yet. But by the time both teams had hit, the Dodgers had outscored the Padres 3-1. to one. That was just kind of a, you know, a slap in the face, like, hey, we have owned you over the last 
five years, we're going to own you tonight. No matter what you do, we're either going to equal or we're going to, uh, you know, two up that like the Dodgers did. So to me, that just kind of made the statement that, hey, we're going to beat you again tonight. We're going to beat you for the fourth time in a row, and we're going to continue to claim dominance in this series. So that three-run home run, not just the three runs, obviously, that's huge too, but just from the perspective of answering back and just making that statement, I thought that was huge. Okay, the Dodgers, their offense, you know, hey, like we said, when you slug, it makes things a lot easier. They did have eight hits, seven different guys had hits last night, but they only scored in two innings, but hey, when you win, it doesn't matter. I will always take, you know, only scoring in two innings, that's not, you know, unless you score, you know, like eight runs and score eight. You know, that that doesn't always lead to wins. You know, and the Dodgers, again, only scored four runs last night. Four runs won't win, you know, probably more than 500 or 50% of your games, but it did win last night. That's all that matters because I talk about how the Dodgers have figured out how to win different games. Last night, you only score in two innings. You know, there's been games where the Dodgers have scored in like four, five, six innings, and they've spread the wealth out and played great team offense. Well, last night, the Dodgers slugged in the first inning, and they only scored one more run the rest of the whole night and then had to make the pitching hold up for that. So, hey, you know, get on base and, you know, get a couple of bloop singles. You know, they the old saying in baseball, we need a couple bloops and a blast. Well, that was the Dodgers' first inning yesterday. They got that. They got the three runs and literally just rode that all the way home with great pitching from Julio Urias, Bruce Dar Gratterall, Evan Phillips, and then Caleb Ferguson. I love that last out. That was so much fun to watch in that last inning. Was super hyped, and I'm still pretty pumped about it. And boy, the Dodgers have a chance to sweep the Padres today. Wouldn't that be awesome? And I'll tell you what, I went over it, but you know, the Dodgers have a chance to really make some hay here. You know, I said two out of three against the Padres, so hey, let's get greedy, let's win three out of three, let's sweep this series. And then, you know, you have Minnesota where you could easily win two out of three out of that. Then you could sweep the Cardinals after that. And boy, you could really, really, really be on a good run and open up maybe a five, six game lead, maybe even a seven game lead in the NL West and be, you know, eight, nine, 10 games up on the Padres. Cause you know, the Padres are going to get hot and start, uh, you know, they have, they have too much talent, even if they don't have kind of an identity, even if they don't have kind of a formula, a winning formula, you know, hey, they have too much talent. They are going to get hot. So you'd like to have that buffer against the Padres. Okay, Dodgers with runners in scoring position are nine for their last 56. Okay, everything's good. The Dodgers have won a bunch of games in a row. But, hey, you do need to address the runners with scoring and, and uh, with runners in scoring position, the offense. The Dodgers are nine for their last 56, which is uh, ranked 10th in the – in, in Major League Baseball as far as hitting with runners in scoring position. That's a 248 average. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, the Dodgers, they, you know, hey, I think, you know, one thing, like I said, that's a double-edged sword, and that means you're getting a lot of guys in scoring position, but then you're not always knocking them home. So the Dodgers, again, are nine for the last 56, 248 average. That is 10th in Major League Baseball as far as hitting with runners in scoring position. Okay, let's move now to the pitching. Julio Urias, we've talked about the Dodgers have won the last nine games against the Padres that Julio Urias has started. That's what you need your ace to do when you're in a big divisional series and a big divisional game. You need your ace to go out and have dominance over the other team because then, you know, that just 
pushes the ball down the line, and it makes everything else easier for the other matchups in terms of you know taking a little bit of stress off of having to do this and having to do that when you're ace. You know you're going to go out and he's going to win every time. Let me ask you this question, though. Is Evan Phillips the best relief pitcher in the game? Leave a comment. Tell me what you think about that. Again, Evan Phillips, we talked about how dominant he was last year. He was absolutely ridiculous. The Dodgers got him, I believe, from Tampa Bay. I always remember him as a Baltimore Oriole, but I believe the Dodgers actually got him from Tampa Bay. I would have to look that up. I think that's right, though. Okay, and once they did, boy, they, you know, again, another formula guy. I talk about the formula the Dodgers like to plug in from a pitching perspective. The high spin rate, four seam up in the zone, and then the slider that turns left. Evan Phillips has that plus some. His slider is just absolutely insane. I believe he's throwing what they call a sweeper nowadays, which the sweeper gets a little bit more horizontal movement, kind of like that frisbee action that you can see a lot of times side armors can throw and get on the side of the ball, get that ball to, to move a lot sideways horizontally. He throw, I believe he's throwing that sweeper this year, kind of a new term that Major League Baseball put out there for a new type of horizontal type pitch. So Evan Phillips, is he the best reliever in the game? He's given up runs in just one outing this year. He gave up three runs in that outing, and that's why his ERA is not sub one as we speak right now. But Evan Phillips, he, like I said, he has just been ridiculously good for the Dodgers. Is he the best relief pitcher in the game of baseball? You know, if there is a better one, Okay, leave in your comments. Tell me who you think it might be. But Evan Phillips, I think he's the best relief pitcher in the game. If you ask me if I needed to go get three outs, not you know necessarily the last three outs, just the three outs, the biggest three, the biggest three outs of any one game, and I could have any relief pitcher in the game of baseball. Would I choose anybody else over Evan Phillips to go get those three outs? I would not. I, I Evan Phillips has been that good, and so you know that's where I'm at on that. But where are you at on that? Leave me a comment. Tell me what you think about Evan Phillips. Is he the best reliever in the game of baseball? Okay, so Bruce Dark Gratterall came in. He's, he threw two-thirds of an inning. Doc played the matchup, the left-on-left matchup game. He brought in Caleb Ferguson. And I'll tell you what, how much confidence and faith did he show in Ferguson? I know, you know, that's the left-on-left deal like I talked about. But still, to bring him in in that situation, that was big time. Fergie got it done with a lot of emotions and shut it down. So, hey, that was not an indictment on Bruce Dark Gratterall. That was simply, we are not playing around here. We are going to do everything that we're supposed to do to put our team in the best situation at all times to beat the Padres. And if that means taking out, you know, a guy after he's only gotten two outs and Bruce Dark Gratterall and playing the left-on-left matchup, then go do it. That's what Dave Roberts did last night. Give him credit for that move. You got to give Dave, you know, he takes on a lot of fire for, you know, I know that some Dodgers fans don't think he has necessarily enough fire in his belly. They don't think that, you know, maybe he, maybe he's too much of a player's coach. Maybe he's too nice to guys, which he does create a very warm environment, a very warm culture in the dugout, which is great over 162 because it makes guys comfortable. It makes them want to be there and it makes them want to perform. But, you know, the criticism that I've heard the most of Dave Roberts is, hey, there are times where you need to get out of your box. You need to get up into somebody. You need to motivate them. You need to not be quite as positive. And you need to just kind of be, you know, just kind of light a fire in your players. That's the criticism I hear of Dave Roberts, you know, and the most. And so 
Hey, for all the criticism he takes, a lot of fans will say, hey, he wins in spite. We win in spite of Dave Roberts, which is, in my opinion, just absolutely ridiculous. There's no way you can win in spite of your manager. These players love Dave Roberts. They love playing for him. They wouldn't want to have any other manager. And because of that, the Dodgers get the best out of each and every player. And they also have a team culture behind it. And that absolutely, absolutely helps a lot as far as all the winning that the Dodgers do. So Dave Roberts, I will not back off the fact that he is the perfect manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, I don't necessarily disagree that there are times where he needs to go outside of his box to light fires with guys. I think he is slow to do that because he is such a a warm culture type person. Okay, I don't disagree with that at all. And I've even stated that on a couple of podcasts in a couple different scenarios when I felt like he needed to do that to get the fire lit back in both individuals and teams. So, hey, I think that criticism a lot of times is warranted, but everybody has their flaws. I mean, what you're saying is unless the guy is absolutely perfect all the time, then he's not a good manager. I just He's won way too many games. You know, the playoffs are a crapshoot. It's all about who gets hot in baseball. It's not necessarily who the best team is. So, hey, you know, when Dave Roberts goes out and he takes out a bruised dark Gratterall who has all this explosive stuff and he puts in a left-on-left matchup, give him credit for it. I think Dave Roberts does, you know, sometimes it comes out wonky and sometimes it looks weird and we tend to focus on the times whenever they kind of do things analytically and it doesn't work. You know, it's kind of like the shift. Whenever it didn't work, all the old school guys, they would just hammer it down. But what they wouldn't mention is all the times that it actually did work because that didn't necessarily fit, you know, a narrative of not liking the shift. You know, so that's kind of the analytical part of it. We like to to notice when the analytics part of it doesn't work, you know, and we try to we tend to focus on that, but then we just kind of blow over whenever it actually does. And I can't tell you how many different times I've just scratched my head and gone, what the hell is he doing right here? You know, which great baseball people do, even your bench coaches, even, you know, I'm sure there's sometimes players are thinking the same thing. So I don't mean that necessarily negatively or as a criticism. And then you look up and you go, oh, okay, well, I see now, you know, this guy, here's the, the analytical data behind this. Here's the analytical data behind that. And then the next thing you know, it works. There's been, you know, so many times to where as I was getting used to the analytics and the data, I had those moments, and so I've just come to trust the process and realize that, hey, you know, all this data coming in, what it does is over 162, it gives yourself the best chance to win over a long period of time. So, hey, give Dave Roberts credit. That's kind of a long rant, a long spiel, just to say, hey, that was a great move, bring in Caleb Ferguson last night. Okay, base running, there wasn't really a whole lot to talk about. The Dodgers' last three games of starting pitchers. Okay, how about this? We talk about all the – the, the analytics and all the data and how the Dodgers follow it. And the data would tell you, hey, throw different guys so the other team's getting a different look every time they're up. Don't let your starter ever face the other team either their third time through the lineup. Well, how about this? In the last three games, the Dodgers have had pitchers that have gone seven innings, six and two-thirds innings, and then seven innings. I've said it a million different times. I love analytics. I love data. But when your starter goes seven innings and all you have to do is cover two, it makes it so much easier, especially when one of those guys you're bringing in is automatic like Evan Phillips. In essence, really as a manager, 
All you're having to do is cover one inning, of which Dave Roberts, really all he had to manage last night was one inning, honestly. You know, you hit the three-run home run, you only score one more run after that. So other than the decision to bring in Caleb Ferguson, what did Dave Roberts have to manage? Julio Urias, although he did give up the two runs, he put Dave Roberts, his manager, in that situation because Dave Roberts didn't even have to manage until the ninth inning. You know, because, hey, bring in Evan Phillips. I mean, my grandma can make that decision, correct? Evan Phillips, we just had the conversation. Is he the best relief pitcher in the game? I think he is. That's automatic. You bring him in, maybe the managing part of it is, do I bring him in the eighth or the ninth? You know, maybe that's, you know, you, you, chew, and, you chew on that with your bench coaches and you make that decision. So there's some managing to go there. But, you know, hey, you know Evan Phillips is going to cover one of those two innings. So really the only managing part of that is, how do we cover the third inning? And Dave Roberts was absolutely spot on. Bruce Dark Gratterall came in through two outs, and then Caleb Ferguson got the last out, and the Dodgers win, and they beat the Padres for the 49th time in the last five years, and they secured their 11th regular season series win over the Padres, you know, and the end consecutive, 11th consecutive, I should say. So that is absolutely fantastic. Okay, how about Will Smith? I talked about him yesterday. He has been absolutely fantastic. Will Smith had struck out coming tonight. Coming into tonight, Will Smith had struck out just six times. Okay, of course, he struck out on his first at bat. And, you know, so <laughs> it was kind of like right on cue. I actually got this data from this stat from uh, Charlie Steiner on the radio broadcast. If you ever have a chance, listen to the radio broadcast and Steiner and Monday. They are just absolutely fantastic, in my opinion. I love listening to those two guys. So as Charlie Steiner was giving this stat, Will Smith actually struck out. And Charlie Steiner was what was like, well, wouldn't you know it? As soon as I give this stat about him never striking out, he strikes out in his first at bat. But coming into last night, Will Smith had only struck out six times, which was the fewest of any player in the major leagues with at least 100 at bats. So Will Smith, not only has he been just ridiculous as far as the batting average, you know, he got the, the, the base hit to, to right field. You know, to score the second run, Freddie Freeman hit that that ringing double off the wall, and, and Will Smith went oppo to, to drive him in, you know, for the fourth run. So, you know, not only has Will Smith has been a fantastic offensive player, you know, as far as batting average goes, driving in runs, slugging, he doesn't strike out either. I mean, what is it that there isn't to like about Will Smith? You know, he's – you know, I asked the question yesterday. You can leave a comment again. Is he the best offensive catcher in the game of baseball? Well, he's only struck out, what now, seven times? And that's the, the least amount of any hitter with at least 100 bats in the major leagues. He has a batting average over 300. You know, he's driving in runs. What's not to like about Will Smith? So, again, another fantastic night last night, another organizational sweep starting at the top with the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Dodgers today at home they have a chance to bring out the brooms and sweep the NOS rivals. Are they rivals? We we talked about that. I asked that question. Leave a comment. The NOS rivals, I'll leave it at that right now. The San Diego Padres, a chance to sweep them this afternoon, Sunday afternoon. It's the Dodgers and the Padres. So that concludes our talk about the Dodgers for today. Time now to transition to the very successful minor league action from yesterday so let's not waste any more time let's get right to it let's take a trip down on the farm
Kind of like the L.A. Dodgers. The Oklahoma City Dodgers scored early last night and then didn't score a whole lot after that. As a matter of fact, Oklahoma City, they put up a two spot in the second inning last night. Didn't score again, but that was enough as they defeated the Round Rock Express, and they are going for the sweep against the, the Express this afternoon, Sunday. They have won five in a row against them. That would be the first six-game sweep in the history of the Round Rock organization. Now, keep in mind that the six-game series haven't been around a whole long time, just a couple of years, but it would be the first six-game sweep in the history of Round Rock. So that would be a big deal today if Oklahoma City could go ahead and finish that thing off down there in the Austin area against the Round Rock Express, the AAA affiliates of the Texas Rangers. Last night, pitching was very good. We're going to get into it. Robbie Erlin, he went five innings. Gave up just one run, four hits. He had five strikeouts and just one walk. Tyler Sear, he was absolutely nasty last night. His The sink on his ball, the tumble, and the fade, you know, that changeup was just absolutely awesome last night. So Tyler Sear, he was very good. Hey, Andre Jackson, I told you, man, he's going to get his head above water. He threw two innings last night. He did have a couple of walks, so the command is not exactly where he would like it to be right now. Only one strikeout, but... Bottom line is, he threw two innings of scoreless baseball. And then Nick Robertson, he threw an inning last night. And uh, he had two strikeouts, and he was very, very, very impressive. So, hey, last night was a good win for AAA Oklahoma City. On the year now, they are 27-11. and They're in first place of the PCL West. They're having just a fantastic year. Offensively, Drew Avens had a hit. And he also had a walk, so he is on base twice. And anytime he does that, that's always a big deal because he scores a lot of runs. Michael Bush back with Oklahoma City. He had a hit as well. Hunter Fiducia, he had two hits last night. And he threw a runner out. We're going to check that out here in a minute. Wardo, Ryan Ward, he had two hits last night. And Steven Duggar had a hit as well. Seven hits total, just two runs. And they both came in the second inning. But that was all the Oklahoma City Dodgers needed. And they took down the Round Rock Express. Again, 2-1 to one to move to 27-11 and 11 on the season. Hunter Fiducia had two hits last night for AAA Oklahoma City. And he absolutely, we're going to get to see it. Going to get to see it here in a minute. If I can talk long enough, absolutely hosed at runner trying to steal second base. There's a second hit, so the next play should be his hose down to second base. Hunter Fiducia is hitting 295 on the year. His OPS is 972. Here we go. Strike him out, throw him out. He actually got interfered with. Still threw out the runner by quite a bit. That was a great throw by Hunter Fiducia. Again, had two hits last night. So, again, 295 on the year, OPS 972. And like I said, he has a good arm. He has a big target behind the plate. He receives the ball very, very well. He throws down real well. So, hey, nothing not to like about this young man. Tall and lanky. He's absolutely tough. Hunter Fiducia. My man Wardo, Ryan Ward, was two for three last night for AAA Oklahoma City. He was on base three times and scored a run. Wardo has hits in back-to-back games and in four out of five and six out of his last eight games. So Ryan Ward is heating up for the AAA Oklahoma City Dodgers. This young man can absolutely hit. I love how his barrel comes through the zone. He has that swing that's going to allow him to hit both for average and for power. This young man, left-handed hitter out of uh, Massachusetts went to Bryant and was a very good offensive player there. So Ryan Ward, better known as Wardo, boy, he is he's starting to heat up for AAA Oklahoma City. Andre Jackson had another good outing last night for AAA Oklahoma City. He went two innings scoreless. Jackson, you know, I talked about quite a bit. He was, you know, just he had the Tommy John 
after he you know went to Utah. Of course, he didn't pitch a whole lot in Utah. He was mainly an outfielder there. Then he had the Tommy John. So really, you know, he's just kind of getting started as a pitcher as far as stringing years together. So still a lot of a learning curve for him. One thing about him I talk about all the time. He is, you know, he's a fighter. He's going to keep fighting. And like I said, he's still somewhat on a learning curve because he's not the guy that was always the pitcher in college and and came to the Dodgers refined. You know, he came to the Dodgers as an outfielder and a guy who had Tommy John surgery. They have made him what he is. He has that elite changeup, working on that slider and working on his command. Again, he did have two walks last night, so I'm sure he would tell you that the command wasn't exactly the way that he wanted. But still, it's a situation to where anytime you can go two innings and you do not give up a run and your team wins a close game like the Oklahoma City Dodgers did last night. That is absolutely total success. Like I said, Andre Jackson, as he continues that learning curve, as he continues to get better, as he continues to learn exactly what type of pitcher he is and what makes him great, what makes him that major league caliber pitcher that can get consistent major league outs You know, every time he goes out, as he continues to learn all of that he will get his head above water once again. When I say that, I don't mean that you know he's below water in the sense that he's not doing good. I just mean above water, meaning back in the major leagues. Nick Robertson is kind of the Michael Bush of pitching in the sense that he's done just about everything he can do at the AAA level to impress and show that he is ready for a major league debut. Of course, he is not on the 40-man roster. So you'd have to DFA somebody to get him put on that roster, which is a messy situation. So hasn't happened yet. But, you know, he normally sits 94 to 96, Robertson does. Last night, he was at 98, and that was per the Round Rock play-by-play guy. So, you know, that's the gun in the stands. A lot of times those guns, I've seen them, especially in Tulsa, sometimes they're a mile an hour slower than they actually should be. As far as the stadium gun goes, whenever you actually look at, you know, the StatCast data and, you know, the TrackMan data that comes off, a lot of times those stadium guns are a mile an hour slower than the actual data could be. So, hey, he could have been 99 approaching 100, but we do have it confirmed from the play-by-play guy of Round Rock that he was hitting 98 last night, and he recorded his fifth save of the year. So, hey, we've seen him go three innings at a time. We've seen him start games and go two to three innings as an opener to games. We've seen him go bulk innings. We've seen him go bulk innings in the middle of games, and we've seen him close games with that 98 mile hour fastball, the good slider, and the changeup. Nick Robertson this year. Okay, his ERA is two. Nick Robertson is kind of the Michael Bush of the pitching in the sense that he's done just about everything he can at the AAA level to show that he is ready for Major League action. Of course, he's not on the 40-man, so you'd have to DFA somebody, make room for him. We know that that is always messy, but I'll tell you what, he's done just everything he can at the AAA level. He usually sits 94 to 96, had it confirmed by the Round Rock play-by-play guy last night. He hit 98, and a lot of times those stadium guns are a mile an hour or or so off of what the actual stat cast data and what the track man actually puts off. So he might have been actually hitting 99, who knows, but we do have 98 confirmed. And, you know, he's a guy that Nick Robertson that has started games as an opener and gone two to three innings at the beginning of games. He's given, you know, the different clubs, whatever, whatever level he's at, you know, bulk innings in the middle of games. And last night, as we saw, he can close games and certainly close games like last night was under pressure. He got his fifth save last night. 
So he can pitch in any role you want him to. He has easy power. He's hitting 98 miles an hour, and he has just been so good for the AAA Oklahoma City Dodgers. His ERA is 255. His whip is just 091. His average against is just 197, and he has 27 strikeouts to just three walks and 17.2 innings. Let me say that one more time. Nick Robertson has 27 strikeouts, just three walks, and average against of 197. How about that in 17.2 innings? Double-A Tulsa, well, they had an hour-and-a-half rain delay to get started, and kudos to the people in T-Town. They stuck around and provided a big crowd last night, even though there was a hour-and-a-half rain delay. Of course, it was Saturday night. Saturday night in T-Town, pretty exciting right there, the attendance last night. As a matter of fact, 7,474, and that many people stuck around for an hour-and-a-half rain delay. So, Congratulations to the people of Tulsa. They're in Drillville. They love their drillers. They love coming out and watching, especially on a Saturday night. No better place to be Saturday night in the big town, T-Town, Tulsa, Oklahoma, watching some drillers baseball. Tulsa scored one in the second inning and then exploded for seven in the fourth to beat the Springfield Cardinals 8-3. They're now 22-10 and 10 on the season. Tulsa is Kyle Hurt gave the Dodgers another great start. We'll get into him here in a minute. He went three innings, scored us. And then Alec Gamboa, he came in as well before the rain delay took over. And offensively, Johnny DeLuca hit a home run. Yorbet Bivas had another hit. Diego Cartaya had a double last night. So good to see him get over the Mendoza line. He's hitting 205 now on the year. Jose Ramos had a couple of hits. We'll talk more about him. Eddie's Leonard had a hit. And Carson Taylor had a two RBI triple that we're going to talk about as well. So a lot to get to in the Tulsa game. Again, they won 8-3 last night. They scored 7 in the fourth inning. They exploded there to move the record to 22-10. Johnny DeLuca just destroyed that pitch. Look at that. Wow, that is a pitch that he just absolutely clobbered. That was his 10th home run. He also has 9 stolen bases. So hey, the 2020 talk, the 2020 watch is heating up for Johnny DeLuca. I think unless he gets hurt, He's going to get to 2020 pretty easy, and the question is going to be, can he get to 30-30, which would be totally awesome to watch him do that. The young man out of the Los Angeles area who went to Oregon, he was actually a switch hitter at the University of Oregon. He stopped switch hitting when he got to the Dodgers, only right-handed now, and it has absolutely worked. He's hitting 278. so not only does he hit home runs, not only can he steal bases, he can also hit for average, 278 average. His OPS is 968, so he is doing it all offensively so far in 2023. Johnny DeLuca. Jose Ramos went two for two last night. He had an RBI for double-A Tulsa, and, you know, that game, again, was rain-delayed. So getting two hits in a game that only, you know, God believe to the seventh inning is what it got to, that is a fantastic young look. He's just able to stay back on balls and, and you know, just commit to letting the ball get a little bit deeper so he's able to get hits like that. That's why Jose Ramos' average has been better this year. Ramos has hits in five of his last six games and four multi-hits in his last five-plus last night. So Jose Ramos has been doing very well offensively, and he's also nine for his last 23 with a home run, a double, three RBIs, and two runs scored. The young Panamanian, Jose Ramos, who has all of the, you know, he has the ridiculous arm, great athletic ability. He has the power. He has the ability, as we're seeing here, to hit for average. So nothing Jose Ramos can't do on a baseball field. Hey, I never pass up on the chance to brag on my man Carson Taylor out of Virginia Tech. I love his hit tool. This young man, I'm telling you, he's got off to a slow start in 2023. 
He had the slow 2022 because of injury, but I'm telling you this dude is ultra talented. He was taken in the 2020 draft. If you remember, that was only five rounds, so only really the cream of the crop got drafted that year. That's how much the Dodgers think of Carson Taylor. He's transitioned to the catcher spot. His defense has gotten just amazingly better. He's all, You know, he's a switch hitter. I think he's quite a bit better from the left side, which he's going to hit most of the time because most of the pitchers that you face are right-handed. So Carson Taylor, he had a two-RBI triple that you're seeing right here, and he has three multi-hit games in his last four. He's six for his last 12 with a triple, a home run, three RBIs, three runs scored, and 11 total bases. The young man out of the Atlanta area that came to the Dodgers from Virginia Tech. For however slow Eddie's Leonard started out 2023, he is equally as hot right now. He had another two RBI double last night. He has three RBIs total so far, or last night he had three RBIs total before the rain delay got to the AA Tulsa Drillers. Leonard has been very hot lately as he's hitting 441 in May. His OPS in May is 1412. Doesn't get a whole lot hotter than that for, you know, as far as a month and, and getting into it. We're already halfway through. It's the 14th of May, and he's still hitting 441. OPS 1412. He has hits in six of his last seven games, and it's 10 for his last 25. The young shortstop who's on the 40-man roster for the Dodgers, Eddie's Leonard. Boy, how about the Great Lakes Loons? Again, you know, some of the things they've been doing have just been absolutely amazing. They are now 21-11 with their win yesterday. They just score late. You know, they just kind of squeeze the air out of their opponent, then they score some runs late. They scored three in the eighth and one in the ninth, again, to win six to five. If you remember, they won the 10-inning game where they scored late on Friday evening, then scored four in the 10th inning to win that game eight to four. Well, they scored four more runs in the eighth and ninth innings of yesterday's game to win by one against the Lake County Captains. They have just absolutely dominated this series. The Great Lakes Loons have been absolutely fantastic. Ben Kasperius had another great start for the high A Great Lakes Loons. He went five innings, had six strikeouts, did not give up a run, only had two hits. Then Mitchell Taransky, Ronaldo De Paula, Jack Dreyer, and Aldrey Acosta, they teamed up to, you know, of course, they, they did give up the four runs in the bottom of the eighth and one in the ninth, but they teamed up to only allow five runs on the night for the Lake County Captains and the Great Lakes Loons. They were victorious 6-5, to five, and they moved the record again to 21-11 and 11 on the season. It was another great outing for Ben Kasperius, the right-hander out of UConn. He actually went to the University of North Carolina High School, but you know he's from the U, the Connecticut area, and he always wanted to go back and play at home. So when he got to go back and do that and play the year at UConn, it was one of the greatest years of his life. He just absolutely loved his coaches. He loved his teammates. He loved the fact that he was a UConn Husky, and he helped that wonderful program they have built. I actually got to see them playing a regional in Oklahoma. They were supposed to come to Oklahoma State, but it was too wet. So that series actually got moved to the Bricktown Ballpark in Oklahoma City. I got to see UConn play. They were just a fantastic team. Very tough, very scrappy, very disciplined. And, you know, that's one of the the reasons why Kasperius wanted to go back. He wanted to be a part of that culture at at UConn, and he absolutely built onto that. And I know his coaches back at UConn love him. He loves them, and he loves the fact, again, that he went back and he was a Husky. And he's having a great year. I have said for now a year or two now 
Of course, he's been a position player in the past. But Ben Kasperius, he has some of the nastiest stuff of anybody in the organization. His ball moves, and it moves fast. It's tight. The spin is tight. He's ultra competitive. It just seems like the ball, you know, is never straight for him. It's almost impossible to get on the barrel. I'm going to watch this again. And it's just tough to hit. Ben Kasperit, look, that ball just is always moving for him, and it's coming with good velo. So I've just said for a couple of years now, Ben Kasperius has some of the nastiest stuff of any pitcher in the Dodgers organization. He went five innings yesterday, gave up just two hits and no runs, and he struck out five, which does not surprise me. Kasperius is ninth in the Midwest League in ERA at 286 of all qualified players. He's fifth in whip at 102, and he's second in average against at 167. So, you know, hey, I said he's having a good year. There are your stats, Ben Kasperius. Seems like it's becoming a daily occurrence on Dodgers Daily, talking about Griffin Lockwood Powell hitting home runs to the pool side. How about that? Lockwood Powell, Lock as they call him, he had a home run for the Loons last night, and it was the second consecutive day in a row, consecutive night that he has hit a home run. We've seen, we've talked about a lot, Lock go opposite field a lot. Now he's got and showing the pool side power. And we see what he gets to do and what he can do when he gets around on one, which is impressive right there. That's an impressive-looking home run. And last night, Locke, he was catching. So very versatile. He can play first base. He can catch. He can do a little bit of everything that a team needs and be versatile as far as that goes. So hey, that versatility, as well as being able to hit to the opposite field and pull baseballs, you know, that makes him very marketable. So a hey, great job, Griffin Lockwood Powell. Boy, how about Mitchell Taransky? He threw a scoreless outing again for Great Lakes. And the young man who had, you know, all of the injuries, the two Tommy John surgeries, he hadn't pitched since 2019. So here he is again. We've always known he's had the big stuff. You saw it right there. Look at the tumble and the downward movement to that breaking pitch right there. So you've always known the stuff was there. It's just a matter of, hey, is this young man ever going to catch a break? He's out of Michigan State and actually get back on the field. You know, it had been since 2019. He hadn't had a chance to. And then once he does, you know, how rusty is he going to be? What kind of command is he going to have? Is he still going to have his feel for all of his pitches? Well, how about the job he's done so far this year? He went scoreless yesterday. That's his fifth time in a row to go scoreless in seventh of his last eight. Taransky's ERA on the year is just 169. His whip is just 093. And his average against is just 065. So, hey, man, it's like he's never missed a beat. Mitchell Taransky certainly not showing any effects of not pitching since 2019. So, the Loons scored late to win a game, okay, and then – Pitching coach for Dave Anderson went out to visit the mound in the ninth no inning to talk to Aldria Costa, who you're seeing on your screen. That mound grip only lasted 25 seconds, which Dave Anderson, you know, hey, he gets his point across and he gets off the mound. He does not waste any time or mince any words. It worked. Aldria Costa induced a weak ground ball. All of those sequences, you know, hey, the, the, the Great Lakes Loon scoring late to win a game. Dave Anderson going out and the pitching you know, the, the visit being very fast and very effective. And then Aldria Costa right here inducing a weak ground ball. All that might be the most predictable chain of events in the history of time. Aldria Costa, he, well, I say it every time I talk about him, has not allowed a run since his first outing of the season. The Rancho Cucamonga Quake scored two in the second, one in the third, one in the sixth, and three in the seventh inning. And that three spot in the seventh, they rode that to a 7-5 to victory over the Stockton Ports last night. And 
They now are 23-9 and on the season are the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. Jose Izada had a hit. Rain Don Cone had two hits and an RBI last night. Yeah, and so it was a good night offensively for the Quakes. Anytime you can pound out 11 hits, Nick Bittison had a hit. He was one for four. He also was on base twice. He drew a walk as well. Jorge Puerta, he had a hit. He was one for three and walked as well. And then moving down the line, Dayton Dooney had another big day. He had another multi-hit day. He went two for three last night. He has been on fire as of late. Dayton Dooney, he also had an RBI and a walk, so he was on base three times. And Kenneth Betancourt. Had a hit as well. Peter Hubeck, he started last night. He went four innings. A little bit of a rough start for him. He's had some up and down moments so far this year. His last two outings have been just absolutely fantastic. This one went a little bit sideways on him. He went four innings. Last night gave up five runs on five hits. He did have six strikeouts, though. So, hey, that big breaking ball of Peter Hubeck, he's still on that learning curve. The Dodgers got him out of Gilman High School. So, he's another one of those high school guys like Peyton Martin who is still just trying to figure out what makes him good? You know, hey, a couple of outings are good, then a couple go sideways. That's kind of the train that Peter Hubeck has been on. Nothing to worry about, I assure you. You know, his goal, I talked to him, was to get above 190 and hopefully to sit above, you know, 96 miles an hour above. He will do that. And so, you know, the, the up and down is to be expected when you're a little bit younger and you're still trying to figure out the kind of pitcher you are, the, the sequences that you want to rely on to be a good pitcher. You know, and all of that formula, that's where Peter Hubeck's at. But I assure you, his stuff is big. He is an elite human being. His work ethic is unbelievable. He is super competitive. So, Peter Hubeck, in the future, I promise you, he'll have many, many, many more good days than he does bad. But last night, like I said, it was a little bit rough for him. He gave up five runs in four innings. Christian uh, Christian Romero threw three and two-thirds innings. Scoreless. Great outing for him. He had three strikeouts and just one walk. And LaVon Reynoso cleaned it up in the ninth. He went one and a third innings. Scoreless. And he had a strikeout as well. So again, the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, they won seven to five last night over the Stockton Ports. They moved the record now to 23 and nine on the season. So there you have it. There's our show for you today. I told you it was going to be cram-packed, and it was glorious because, again, 5-0, and another organizational sweep, the fifth one of the year. How about that? And like I said, in the last couple of years, I can't remember more than uh, – you know, I know there's been one or two, but I don't remember certainly you know, stringing this many together. It's tough to do for all five teams in the organization to win their game on any one given night. So congratulations to the Dodgers. This organization just continues – to roll on. So, hey, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I hope you also tune in tomorrow. And, hey, just one last reminder before we get out of here, we do now have the ability to donate to Dodgers Daily. We do now have a GoFundMe account. The link to that GoFundMe account is in the description. So just scroll down to that description, click that link, and it will take you right to the Dodgers Daily GoFundMe account. Also, if you like this video and if you like this kind of content, go ahead and click that like button, leave a comment, tell all your friends about Dodgers Daily, become a subscriber, and after you subscribe, click that notification bell, turn on your notifications. That way, every time Dodgers Daily releases a new video, you will be notified. You won't ever miss a thing. Dodgers Daily will keep growing, which is what we want to do, and we'll be able to continue 
to provide videos and content like this in the future, which we love to do. We love putting these videos together. Super fun getting to watch these games, cover them, talk about them, and then release them for other people to watch as well. So I hope you enjoy them, and I, I look forward to providing many, many more of these in the future. As always, thanks for tuning in, and go Dodgers!